I am pumped. KT, Steve Beats, <laughs> I'm <laughs> excited. I'm excited, man. Hey, it's my man Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kenny. What up, Kenny? <laughs> Yo, Ski, you probably like, damn, this dude's been bombarding my DMs with posting and promoting this, huh? Man, I know the game. I know what you got to do. Got to get it popping. You feel me? Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. KT, thank you for joining us again for a, a part two. Listen, I, in telling the story, I couldn't, I couldn't not bring a key component to the story right. back. You right. Know? So. And, and and for those who, who didn't tap into the first one with KT, obviously Clark, Clark Kent was in the chat. She was confirming everything that you were saying. And, and it's only right that you bring Ski along for this one to kind of confirm and, and to tell these stories, man. I, I, I love I, I, I love hearing stories. That's why I do this. And, um, for, and I want to say, Ski, man, you're a legend in the game, so I appreciate you jumping on the platform, man. And KT, thank you for bringing him along, brother. So I love, baby. I mean, contrary to popular belief, uh, me and this guy are what? Going on almost 30 years deep. Yep. And Crazy. knowing each other. Crazy. Um, and, and for the sake of time, I, I'll dive right in. You know what I'm saying? If you don't mind, Freddie, just to kind of say how I even met this guy. Please. <laughs> um, I met Ski at the, the BET soundstage, actually, in D.C., Mm -hmm. I was there with Concrete Click, and I was in a freestyle battle. And I was battling Rhyme Fest, actually. I battled Rhyme Fest. I gave Rhyme Fest the business. <laughs> and right. Whoa, yeah. You know what? And after that battle, he got in a fight. He was throwing chairs and shit. <laughs> Hold on. Who was throwing chairs? KT. <laughs> Yo. And, so, for those, and for those listening who don't know about Rhyme Fest, Rhyme Fest is the one who penned Jesus Walks for Kanye. Yep. So I met, I had met Ryan Fest outside and we were all having conversation and he was with another brother from Chicago that was nice on the mic. Ski, you remember his name? No. Light Skin Cat. He, he was nice too. I ended up battling him at the end. Me and him battled at the end of the battle, but I battled Ryan Fest, killed Ryan Fest, gave him the business and I had got off the stage to go to the restroom and Ski walked over to me. He goes, hey, yo, man, you nice. He gave me his business card and said, if you ever in New York, hit me up. And I was like, okay. And then come to find out, Ski was with Jay, and I knew Jay. And then Jay was like, yo, we're going to this. I told Jay, yo, we got an issue with some dudes in here. And Jay was like, we, we ain't going. That was the night before, actually. The night before, I said we had an issue. Jay said they ain't going to do nothing. They didn't do nothing. But then the next day, when I was at the freestyle battle, doing my thing, that's when Ski approached me, gave me his card. And then after that, a few months later, I ended up like moving to New York. And when I moved to New York, I was staying at Clark's house, at Clark Kent's house. And I just remember I was flipping through my wallet and I ran across Ski's card. And I'm like, let me call this dude. <laughs> no lie, no joke. I called Ski. He was at Clark's house an hour later. I told him I'm in New York. He's like, you in New York now, kid? You in New York, kid? I was like, yeah. And he was like, where you at? I was like, Clark's house. He's like, I know exactly where that is. And he came by Clark's house. And then from there, it was... You're, like, around what time was this, Ski? Was this one you had... When, this was an original flavor. This was nah, what? this Reasonable you, you, Doubt time. Reasonable Doubt, Ski? Yeah, yeah, for sure. This was after Original Flavor. Definitely. Okay. We started kind of getting into the whole Reasonable Doubt wave when I met KC. 
Yeah, so gotcha. this was around reasonable doubt. And after that day that he came by clocks, we were hanging together almost like every single day. Yeah, like, and I remember the first thing Ski told me, he was like, look, because I was anxious. I was like, yo, I got this case. And I had a case going on at the time here in Boston. And I was like, I got this case. And I just remember Ski saying in full confidence to me, he was like, look, we're going to get a deal. He said, getting a deal is not the hard part. He's like, getting the right deal is is the hard part. So we want to make right. sure we get the right deal. So right. every day I was with Ski, I was with him when he was working on Reasonable Doubt. I was with him when he was working on Camp Low. I was with him when he was working on Cross Bronx Expressway for Pun and all types of other records. I was <clears> in the <throat> studio with Ski. So what we would do is in the downtime is when we would start to record music. So we would record my music when, say, he had a studio session and the person didn't show up. We would utilize that time and then start to record things. And I just remember when we was at Ski's house in Brooklyn, right downtown Brooklyn, and he was in the room and I, I was hearing him making a beat. And I was like, I want that beat. And the beat was... Oh, man, I was going to ask that too. Jeez. So the thing is, is, the one thing about Ski is when I, whenever I was with him and he was making a beat, he'd go, okay, come here, come say something to this. Uh, how does this sound? And then I would listen to it and then I would be like, yeah. But I would always end it with, I want that beat. <laughs> <laughs> man, it was like, you know what? Me being surrounded by so many uh, artists, it was so hard for me to play beats because everybody always wanted everything I made. It was like KT, Camp Low, Jay-Z, they was battling for beats, kid. It was crazy. Yo, I was going to say that too. When you were, when, you know, when you were making these beats, mm -hmm. you know, for the Reasonable Doubt album, were they specifically made and tailor-made for Jay? Like, for instance, KT's around. He's, he he's hearing the beat. Was it made for somebody else or, or was it specifically for Jay? Yeah, that was, that was definitely for Jay. You know, when I'm making beats, nine times out of ten, I'm kind of making it for the artist, you know, the artist in mind. Um, and K, no, you know, I mean, I slip up sometime and play something I shouldn't play for artists. <laughs> yeah, well, I can tell you a beat that he slipped up and played. I was, I was, I was, once again, we were in his, he, Ski, Ski used to have a studio in his house, in his apartment in Brooklyn. And so a lot, a lot of people don't notice when I moved to New York, I was in the middle of a transition from me moving from the street life, trying to move into the music industry. So there's many nights I had to sleep on the floor of the studio because I really didn't have a place to go at the time. But him and, and so many others like Ski and Chris Lighty, like later on it was Chris Lighty, but these individuals were encouraging me not to leave New York and saying to stay and keep working and keep working. So I just remember we was working on a beat and um, we worked on the beat and I was like, yeah, I want that beat. And he was like, all right, cool, it's yours. And the beat was dum, 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 who you with? Dum, dum, dum. So I Come go on. Home. Listen, I go home <laughs> Come on. to visit and I fly back and Clark comes to pick me up from the airport and he plays me <laughs> Jay rhyming on who you with. And I was like, what? I don't Another one? <laughs> I don't remember that. I had I had faked the hell out of you then. God damn, my bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, so this is this is how he remedied that situation. He's like, yo. He's like, yeah, I gave that beat to, to Jay. I gave a beat to Jay. But let's go to Howard Comart tomorrow. <laughs> And for those who don't know, Howard Comart was the accountant that me and Ski both had. We both used Howard Comart. So 
I just remember after he gave Jay the beat, we just went shopping like the next day. It was like, whatever. Because in my mind, I was like, if he made that beat, he can definitely make a whole bunch of other beats. But right. it was because of all of that time that we were able to be together and making music that I was able to get my deal. Because after a while, I took a look back and I, I started to see that we were compiling a pretty good amount of records that we had made. But also right. the conflict was at the time is that I remember that um, Reasonable Doubt was popping, Camp Low was popping, and Rough House Records approached Ski for a label deal. And mm. I remember they were so adamant about doing this deal with Ski, they sent a limo to his house to pick us up. And it drove us from Brooklyn all the way to Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. YPA, though. That's huh? what it was. Rough House, oh, where Rough House was Okay, at. okay, okay, okay. And I just remember just being there. And Ski's partner at the time was Dame Dash's cousin, Darian. And Darren was so scared I was gonna go sign a deal someplace else. And Ski was like, Ski was like, yo, we gotta let him go do whatever. It's good for us to have artists everywhere. And I just remember I was telling Ski that I wanted to be a part of the Rough House deal, but he had already had two artists, which I had to respect that. He had two artists he was working with. He yep. had the Sporty Thieves and he had mm. Pace One. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah. And so shout to the Sporty Thieves because in all honesty, when they gave Ski their CD. I remember we was on the West Side Highway, and I opened the sunroof and act like I was gonna throw the CD out of it. <laughs> Bam. But I got the opportunity to meet them and listen to them, how creative they were. You know, yeah. R.I.P. to my man Brando. That was my guy in the group. Like that was I. I, I got love for Dubs and I got love for Kirk, but Brando was my guy, cause you know he would always come into the studio sessions and he would be like, "How you doing, Kay?" You know what I'm saying? Like, start chopping it up with right. me. And I'm like, oh, I'm good. Because we were all, like, working to try to get to that that point. I remember Pace was cocky, though. Pace one from the outsiders was cocky. I remember I was in the studio session, and he made a joke one time about how I didn't have a deal. So I remember when I got my deal, I showed up to his session again with a platinum chain on, a roly iced out. I'm like, what's going on? How's everything? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so it seems like obviously from what you were saying, like obviously Ski was instrumental in you getting your deal with Andre Harrell. Um, can you, because I didn't know this, I was like, oh man, but can you tell, or Ski or KT, tell me about how the cover of the Vibe happened with you two? Because you two were on the cover of Vibe. Yeah, <laughs> KT, I was, um, they had some kind of what, producer thing? It was called Chairman of the Boards. Yeah, the chairman of the board thing. You know, they wanted me to take a picture with all these producers. And shit, K was with me. I said, let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Just like that. K was the producer. He was the producer that day. <laughs> yeah. I remember the photographer. Yo, K, yo, K was with me every day, bro. Every day. We was we was in Jersey, everywhere. Brooklyn, all over, man. Just We was, we was always in the studio. So hmm? I was somewhat of a producer. I was giving my input. True, but, you know, That's he was true. he was the craftsman. I was yeah. just giving input and ideas, and it was funny because I remember us being in the studio in Jersey, where um Ski's office was at. His, him and his partner had an office in Jersey, and and his cousin was Damon, Damon Dash, and Dame came by one day, and he would just come by just to haggle and just harass us and just <laughs> try to snap jokes all the time. That's <laughs> how it was, though, right? The worst during back then, man. He was like, "Yo." You got a million dollars? She ain't got a million dollars. I don't want to hear shit. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was the limit. 
Yeah, yeah. He was, yo, he was giving me a hard time because, you know, I kind of left Rockefeller early to start Rockablock. I kind of jumped out the pot before I was finished cooking. You feel me? And right. so, damn, you know, he would come there and kind of, you know, see his cousin, obviously. But I know he was kind of checking on what we was doing. You feel me? Trying to see how Rockablock was going and, you know, if I was okay and shit, which was cool. But, um... Right. So well, why why why'd you make that decision though to kind of pop off early though? Um, I don't know. It just felt like the right thing to do. You know, it just felt right at that moment. Yeah, I mean, I you think, know, uh, honestly, I think it was a smart thing for him to do because um, anyone who was involved with the Reasonable Doubt project itself or just in that realm, they were able to all branch off. Some people hung around for a little while longer and then branched off, but just being a part of that, I just remember when. When Jay was going around trying to get a deal, I just I remember that. Cause I remember I used to see Jay in Virginia Beach. Like I knew Jay before I moved to New York. So I remember just seeing him out and about and then meeting him and Dame, you know, formally and then trying to move around and do their thing and how people weren't with it to them being in control of the entire situation. And it was crazy, but just to see how crazy it was at that time and the opportunities that were coming Ski's way. And I remember Ski was like, yo, he's like, Ruff House wants to do a deal with me, man. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Until that next morning when the limo pulled up and he's like, yeah, yeah we, we going to Pennsylvania. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, big shout out to the Rough House crew, man. They, you know, that shit was real. Was yo, yo, Ski, I wanted to ask you, man, um, a couple questions quickly, but one of them was like, what made you transition from rapping to producing? Because you started off rhyming, mm -hmm. right? Like, what, what made you say, I'm going to just stop rhyming and, and, and do the beats? Well, you know, when I ran into Jay and I heard him rap, and I'm like, okay, this kid is, is, is the best rap I've ever heard, and I can't rap better than him, so I might as well just make his beats. And that's what <laughs> you know, what I'm We're in the same crew anyway, and he rapped better. Let me just, I can make beats. Let me make the beats for him. And me being a rapper, that kind of gave me a edge because I kind of knew what rappers wanted to rap to anyway because if I made a beat and if I felt like I could rap to it them niggas could rap to it too true 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 my follow-up question was obviously for those who, who who are listening and don't and not familiar obviously you did um you know dead presidents feeling it right all you know a, a few more than a few beats on reasonable doubt for Jay-Z right describe like what though? Because KT, you were around for some of those beats too. Like, describe what that feeling was when you were making the beats. Did you use the SP12? What type of food were you eating? Was mm. there alcohol involved? Tell me the influence of making these incredible beats. Well, back then, Inman's back cookies. <laughs> <laughs> it was Inman cookies, baby. Back then, I wasn't really drinking. I wasn't a heavy drinker back then, so it was just you know. Me, I would cook up in my in my in my crib. You know, I would make beats in the crib. Jay would come through. He would listen to some joints. You know, he would take it. The next day, we're in the studio. He laying it down. And in the studio, you know, it was like it was cool because our sessions. You know, Dame was there. Jay was there. B High, KT, Tata, uh, -Ta, everybody was there. But it was never no really no chicks in there. It was just always a lot of dudes and a lot of snapping. Nobody smoking. Nobody drinking. It was. Craig, the vibe was dope. It was all about snapping, laying the shit down, and getting shit done, man. We was focused. Oh. We was super focused. That's what's up. That's mm -hmm. what's up. I was trying to like visualize that. Okay, okay. Yeah. They weren't really so. There weren't really much distractions. No, nah, no. Nah. People like let's go. 
Yeah, but you got you got to think. Back then, we was paying for studio time. That shit was like five thousand dollars a second. You couldn't. Wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? You had to go in there and knock, do your work, and get the fuck up out of there. For real. <laughs> That's facts. I, listen, I will say this: that I had an opportunity to see some of the most incredible creating going on because until I met Big and until I met Jay I, and uh, was it Chiba from Camblo? Mm-hmm. Until I met them three, I had never seen someone go into a studio session without a notebook, pen, and a pad uh, and do nothing. I remember just seeing Jay bopping his head at the soundboard. I remember meeting Big at Daddy's house, and he was just sitting in the corner snapping jokes for like a half an hour, then go in the sound booth and lay a rap down. I'm like, when did he have time to do that? I was watching him. And yo, as jokes. and sorry to cut you off, as an MC, KT, like, when you witnessed them not even penning anything down, like, yeah, how did you feel about that? Like, was this Listen, new to you? I like- remember being at a Camp Low session, and Chiba was sitting on the floor, and he was just in the corner while Ski was, like, playing the beat, just bopping his head. And, and then he Sway. went to Booth and Rhyme. Suede? It was Suede. Yeah, it was Suede. So Suede was in the cut. He was just bopping his head and went to Booth and Rhyme. If you ask me how I feel, I felt like I was nothing. I felt like I was a nobody. Because <laughs> yo, to do that so crazy. incredible. What's crazy was before Jay even, you know, got, quote, unquote, famous for not writing shit down, Suede did that. The day I met him, he never wrote a rhyme down. He always, he would just stand in the corner and just be staring at the wall like this. Yep. Yeah. Our lady's like, come on, let's go. And he'd be ready. Because Swade was crazy. the first person. Swade was the first person I saw do it. Mm-hmm. And then I seen Big do it. And then I walked into a Foxy Brown session and I saw Jay do it. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, but it ain't really hard. You just got to just remember shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that, to me, I feel like that's the best way to do it because, you know, it's fresh on your mind. You just lay it down. You get it out. Yeah, I mean, that's... It might be easy for some, but not easy for most, though. I was you too busy running around all the time. I didn't have time for that. I was too busy <laughs> running around in the street. But I, I will say that I did have that ability because I could get on a stage in front of a gang of people and battle someone in front of me who I'd never met before and talk about everything that they have on at that given moment which is right. the same thing. It's just a matter of sitting in a room, bopping your head and putting the music together. Right, 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 right. It was running up on niggas, making it happen. <laughs> Yo, I got to circle back, though. The fact that you gave this dude your card when he's throwing chairs, mm-hmm. you were really vouching for him. I would have been like, Yo, this dude is wild and I ain't giving him my card. Nah, he was dope, you know. Yeah, that's what's my, up. Yo, you know, a question. That cat up in the range, though, rocking his hat Word. and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, uh, KT, you already told me you you basically previously just mentioned how you met Big. Like, um, Ski, when did you meet meet Big? Biggie? Yeah. Um, I met Biggie um, D&D Studios, I think. Um, shit. I mean, he was there all the time. You know, he would come and peak J, and they would chop it up and stuff. And, um, yeah, I met Big at D&D. Then after that, I started seeing him everywhere. So, like, you were saying how when you first, when obviously, you got Jay on the record early, right, mm-hmm. with, with Original Flavor, and you knew he was incredible, but did you have that same feeling with Biggie? Oh, yeah. Come on. It was undeniable. You know, you heard Biggie, you knew he was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was just, just, you know. I'm just curious, like, at that moment, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, later on, obviously, you know he's the greatest, but, like, at that moment. Yes. We was there at the moment. Yo, I remember, I remember being at D&D, 
and I'm hearing like uh, Primo, he in Studio A. You can hear the music coming through the door. And I'm listening to him make the beat for uh, 10 Crack Commandments. I hear that, one, two, three. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck is he in there doing? And then what, a couple of hours later, Biggie come and laid a verse down. And Primo was like, yo, check this shit out. He opened the door. I'm like, yo, this boy Biggie is a problem. Sick. But they hear Primo in there chop chopping shit up and, you know, adding samples. Because, you know, I'm at D&D every day. Primo's at D&D every day. Mm -hmm. I done heard all types of records that, you know, niggas know from Primo. I, right. I'm in there watching him make shit sometime. You feel me? Right. Primo's ill, bro. Yo, is he one of your is he one of your top producers? Who's your top producer? Like top five, maybe. Uh, nah, I don't have a top five, baby. I mean, I, Primo. I got love for Primo, but he's. I'm more of a Pete Rock kind of, you know, little mm -hmm. finesse, soulful type producer kind of guy. Mark mm -hmm. Spark, fanatic. What about Large? What about Large Pro? Large Pro, you know what I'm saying? Back mm -hmm. in that in that day, that's who I was kind of fucking with. But I fuck with Primo. I knew his shit was hard. You feel me? Hard. But, he had a whole, his style was different from mine. But I respect right. what he did, you know? Hey, I Absolutely. Got a, and, I, and I got a fun fact. Please. I was eating at the steakhouse. I remember I wasn't even living in New York yet. But I was eating at the steakhouse in Midtown, right around the corner from BMG. And a white BMW pulled up. And a dude jumped out. It was Puffy. And we're like, yo, that's Puffy. That's the guy Puff Daddy, right? And he saw us. And he walked over to us. And he goes, hey, where you guys from? And we like, we're from Boston. He's like, come on, come over here. Let me introduce you to someone. He goes, yo, this is my artist, uh, Big. And I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, he's like, hold on, let me play you something. And he played us Party and BS before it was even out. He played it to us in the middle of Times Square. And I just remember like five months later, it came out on that side, that um, soundtrack. And we were like, yo, that's the record that Puffy played us. And then after that was when the hype behind the Notorious B.I.G. started up. Listen, man, I've been That's crazy. in the forefront in the middle of some crazy things. No, I you was have. At, I was at Jerry's Deli the year that Big got killed. We were all at Jerry's Deli. I was hanging out with Chris Lighty. That was my first time meeting him. I remember I was going to the restroom, and some dude opened the door before I even got to the restroom door. He was like, nah, nah, back up, homie. He's like, don't come in here. And I'm like, what's he mean, don't come in here? Yo, they were hiding in the men's bathroom jacking dudes when they were coming in there. So if you go in there, because it was mad industry people were in town. Mm -hmm. oh. So they were going into the restroom and dudes were jacking them, taking their rollies, taking their jewelry. And I guess he saw me. I didn't have nothing. I looked like a regular, like a regular homie. He's like, nah, nah, homie, don't come in here. I was like, oh, cool. Damn. I won't come in there. <laughs> Different. <laughs> yeah. Different. Different. Hell yeah. Wow. But yeah, I remember when I signed my deal, when I got my deal, it was off the strength of the records that me and Ski had created. And I remember the first thing that I told them when they were negotiating the contract, I said that Ski had to do the majority of the album. And they were cool with that. I remember they wrote Ski a nice big check. KT and gave it to him. <laughs> Andre Harrell. Woo. Yeah, he wrote that check fast. No questions asked. The next question he asked me, he was like, can you get Jay on the record? I said, I can see. And like three days later, I ran into Dame. And I said to Dame, hey, I just got a deal, man. I need to get Jay on the record. And he just started laughing at me hysterically. And I'm like, why is this dude laughing at me? He's <laughs> like, you rap? He was like, you rap? I was like, yeah, I rap. I said, what you thought I was just hanging around? 
He was like, then you don't got to ask me nothing. He's like, you got your own relationship with Jay. He's like, you just go ask Jay. And I remember I ran into Jay. I said, look, I got a deal. He said the same thing. He's like, you rap? I was like, yeah, I rap. <laughs> and she was That's like, crazy. He's like, look, work on the album. When you guys are halfway finished, he's like, let me hear what y'all got, and then I'll jump on a record. It was that right. simple. So this is after the Why I Hustle album? Right no, this it. is before that. Okay. Some of the records that are on Wild Hustle were records that we made. Had I used the records that me and Ski did, we had enough material for about two or three albums out of all the records that we had made. We was working. Ooh. Definitely. We was yeah. working. And when I would think a record was good, Ski would be like, nah, we could do better than that. We could do something better than that. Right. Yo, it sounds like you're you're a ski, you're a perfectionist on the beats, you know what I mean? You were really helping KT out. Earlier today, I was driving and I put on um Camp Low Lucini. Mm -hmm. That thing still hits, bro. Like what sample was that? How did you, you know what I mean? How did you create that? This is it. What? Like <laughs> crazy. Yeah, man, that was um profile um, we had we had finished the album for Camp Low, and they loved the album that we had that we had, and it was like, "Yo, Ski, we need one more record, something for the radio. We need that out the park." Hold on, pause. So that was that wasn't one of the first. Lucini mm -hmm. wasn't one of the first. That was the last. That was the last song I did with them. Oh, go ahead, continue. So basically, you know, they wanted a record that the radio was gonna play. You know, a hit. They wanted something dope. So you know, it took me a couple of weeks, but I, I found that Dynasty sample adventures in um wonderland or whatever that shit is called i found that sample heard it as soon as i heard it, i'm like yo this right here this is it <laughs> boom right 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 Dropped the beat up you know i wrote the hook and, and, and they did they think i just remember being at ski's house one night we were getting ready to go to the studio and we jumped in the car and turned the radio on and listen you couldn't turn mm -hmm. hot 97 on without right Right. Crazy. Like, yo, I think if you can still play that record to this day, and that people will just be like, Thomas, good music is Thomas. You don't have to worry. Don't worry about it. It's not going to nope. ever go. It's just, it's good music. You feel me? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, I sit, I, I sit, I sit and I look back and I think, and I was like, yo, I was around real, like real live greatness. You nah, know, you were, you were. Jay, um, a, a lot of people don't know me and Jay's cousin Beehive became really good friends. Like, even when I got out my deal, they were like, yo, we're about to do another label deal. It's going to be called the Carter Faculty. And I was like, nah, I'm cool. And then the Hard Knock Life came out and sold six million copies. And I'm like, I messed up on that one. Should have took the deal. <laughs> Should have took the deal. <laughs> oh, man. That's crazy, bro. It is crazy because, like, no, for sure, KT, like, I was talking to uh, somebody about you, man, and it's like you, you, you were around so many, in, you know, so many key individuals in the music industry early on, and I feel like you were the connector, especially for people in the Boston rap scene, right? I'm a, I brought Jay-Z here to the Strand Theater way before Reasonable Doubt came out. People were clueless to who Jay was. But the owner of the record store out here, of course, he knew who Jay was. And he was like, can you get Jay? I called Jay. Jay happened to be in L.A. at the time. I said, I got a show for you. I'm going to connect you with the owner of the record store. So I put connected them to, 
And then like two weeks later, Jay was out here in Boston to do a show. And it was only 25 people there. People <laughs> did not know who Jay-Z was. Wow. But I remember six months after Reasonable Doubt came out, people were like, that's that dude, Jay-Z, that you were talking about. I was like, I tried to tell you. He said like short sleeves, he bears arms. <laughs> Try to tell you. <laughs> right, right. That's crazy, man. Um, oh man, like uh, also my son. Oh, you're gonna tell that story? I met my son <laughs> through someone from Highbridge. They brought my son to ski. Remember my apartment on East 53rd Street in between Second and Third Avenue? I was in a corporate apartment, and my man came by one day with my son, and he was like, "Hey, I want you to meet my man." And I was like, "All right." He was like, what you doing right now? I was like, nothing. He was like, we're going to go back uptown. I was like, all right, cool. Let's go uptown. I lived on East 53rd Street. My son rhymed from East 53rd Street all the way back to Highbridge. He was rhyming the entire time. He did <laughs> not take a break. He did not stop. I remember that following Saturday, we were on 125th Street. The Rough Riders used to pull up with the trucks all the time, open the back of the trucks, and start playing beats and let people go at it. My son jumped right in the middle and started going at everyone's head. And then the Rough Riders were trying to sign him. But where it all came to head is that that following Tuesday, me and Chris Lighty were walking into Justin's, and I stopped him because I knew my son said he wanted to battle Shine. And he battled Shine right in front of Justin. Early Shine. He, he gave Shine the business, man. <laughs> Shine didn't want to say nothing. My son is a beast, man. Yo, that's Shout crazy. Shout out to my son. That's, that's crazy. That's my guy. And Nori said on his podcast that he discovered my son. That's a lie. My man, Nigel, NY Giant on um, Instagram, him and Tone actually found my son. And then I met my son and told Chris about him. And when I told Chris about him, Chris saw him for himself that day and signed him that Thursday. That happened on a Tuesday. That Thursday, they signed the deal. Mm. That Friday, I got an envelope that was probably this thick. <laughs> I'm responsible Yo, for some careers, man. Nah, that's I, I trust me. I, I know, I know you are, man. That's why I have you on a part two because it's crazy, man. Seriously. And Ski's partly responsible for my career. I'll give that to him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yo, um, was there anything else that you heard in the studio when Ski was kind of developing Jay's, you know, reasonable doubt or the or the, you know, you know, whatever nah, other projects? I used to, I can just say this, that Ski, number one, is probably one of the most creative people that I've ever met. And I think that it is that advantage that he had as a rapper when he's making beats that made right. it a lot easier for him. But I can honestly say this, I seen Ski reach out and help a lot of people and give a lot of artists opportunity. I know a lot of people ended up like being mad at Ski. Even I was mad at him at one point. But my thing is, is that what I was mad at him over was more so had nothing to do with music. And it was more so us, you know, and our friendship. But as time progresses, you grow and you learn that that's really nothing to be upset about. And here we are 20 something odd years later. And I'm calling Ski sometimes late at night. He called me the other morning, like early in the morning because he saw me post something. And he's like, yeah, what's up, kid? And I'm like, why is he calling me this early? And he goes, what's up with them sweatsuits? <laughs> So just, to, just, to, just to be able, I mean, I always tell Ski this, you know, that's my brother, man. I love him. Like, he met my family. I met his family. I mean, I drove from New York to North Carolina with him to go see right. his family. That's crazy. And because he wanted to buy a Range Rover, so we drove right. all the way. 
Right. I was I was born in North Carolina. I saw that you were you from North Carolina. I was born in Jacksonville. My dad was in uh, a Marine in Camp Lejeune. Mm, military kid. Oh, yeah. OK. Oh, yeah. Yep. 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 But I was. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying I was only there for a short amount of time. And it, it's so beautiful to see the, your relationship after so many years. It's wonderful to have you both on the platform. Um, fast forward. Well, obviously, in 2021. Right. COVID happened. Um, Ski, what have you done to make yourself still prominent, even though COVID is hit? Like, what have you done to make your name still, you know, stay at the top? Man, it, it, <laughs> it ain't about me right now. It's about it's about um, the community right now. You know, the the producer community. You know, we're doing the Smack Pack thing. We're reaching out to young producers. We're giving them an opportunity to showcase their talent and things like that. You know, that's what I, that's what I've really been working on, man. You know, just keeping them. Um, and for the energy and I and I see that for those who don't know about the Smack Pack mm -hmm. who are listening, tell them about that. What is that? Basically, the Smack Pack is um, it's a challenge, man. It started off as like this thing called a 10 second challenge. I had my SP 1200 that my man Mel Supreme. I see Mel Supreme in the comments. What up, Mel? DJ Mel Supreme. You know he, he gave me a SP 1200. He had two, so he gave me one. And uh, I was making a beat on it one day, and I was like, yo, man, this, this is wild liberating to only have 10 seconds to make a beat. I remember this. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe, you know, I can still do it. And I put a post out, and the next day in my DM, it was mad videos of kids with 10-second challenge, you know, hashtag. So I'm like, oh, shit, this is dope. So I just start, you know, reposting their shit. And, you know, I reposted one, and, you know, he got a lot of love, and I reposted another one, he got a lot of love. And I couldn't stop because I wanted everybody, you know, get the same love that, you know, the other guy got. So I It's just what KT said. He said that you would always put on people. You're confirming that right now. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, so, I, you know, I, you know I, I didn't want nobody to miss out. So I just started reposting everybody's stuff. And then what? A couple of months later, I saw some drum packs on my computer, and I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I give them these packs, you think they could make a beat with it? So I, that's how I started the Smack Pack. I just came over the name Smack Pack, said, yo, go get the kit, make a beat. And then I had an old, I had an old MPC laying around. And I said, man, yeah. I win my MPC, threw that up, and then it's just been rocking ever since then. Nah, the, the producer community has been booming because of that. Yeah, it's I've like, been seeing that, man. Yo, dude, I met so many dope producers. A lot of motherfuckers got placements. People are just... You know, it, it's it's dope. It's my page is their page now. It's not even my page. If you look at my page, this is all. <laughs> it is true. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> you're giving you're giving them a platform to shine to to kind of get their product out. Yeah. And I've 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 actually followed quite a few producers because of your page. I'm like, yo, this dude's beats are crazy. Right, and it's wild because you know it's a lot of dope. <laughs> I notice I go to their page and you know I'm not and I'm not trying to front on them, but they'll have like 500, you know followers and then every time they post a video they only get like 20 you know views and maybe like two or three comments i'm like yo this shit ain't right i ain't got a right. million, i ain't got a million followers but i can get to help you get a boost you know what i mean 100 100 percent now i love that man thought like ski thinks and like <laughs> i think we had our time and it's still our time to some degree but you got to make way and pave the way and educate and make a platform for those individuals who are coming up for us because I remember me and Grandmaster Kaz. And if you don't know who Grandmaster Kaz is, you shouldn't even be touching a microphone. <laughs> and I remember when I met him, he approached me and said, 
you nice. He's like, nah, B, you nice. You nice. And that had me amped because I'm like, yo, this is Grandmaster Kaz from Wild Style. Like, <laughs> are you crazy? Like, he's one of the Cold Crush brothers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yo, we were having this discussion the other day. It's like, uh, you talking about the lineage and uh, a lot of the new cats they don't know the history of hip hop, you know what I mean? And you're, nah. you're over there saying how you were so amped about Grandmaster Cash, right? But 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 the new cats, they're not in tune with the with with who started it, the pioneers. And I feel like whatever industry you're in, R&B singing, jazz, basketball player, you should know your history, right? Who started it off? Who who kind of built the foundation? So I respect that, KT. That you already acknowledged who the foundation was, and you were like, "Yo, this is crazy." No, you you know, hear something because crazy. he was he wasn't he wasn't prominent when you were coming up though, but you were like, but "Yo, you I know knew I wanted to rap, and I knew when I heard him rapping, I was like, this guy can rap." You know what I'm saying? And even when I got in the game, like I still was enjoying the industry, and I was in it. Like I was in it, getting checks. Ski will tell you, I could walk in and out of any record label. Like, I'll get to the front desk and they'll be like, oh, KT, boom, I can get upstairs while artists are waiting outside of the Universal building trying to get in. I'm walking right to the door and walking right in. For those who don't know, I walk Gilly the Kid and Ab Lava. If you don't know who Ab Lava is, he runs with King Push. I walk both of them into Def Jam Records one day because they were sitting outside in front of Def Jam Records on their car with Pennsylvania plates. And they asked me, oh, you working here? I was like, why? They was like, we rap. I said, let me hear something. And I remember they was with a kid from that group from Philly called Non-Brigade. His name was Sonny Black. And I remember he said one of the illest rhymes that I told him, go park your car and I'll wait right here for you guys. And I walked them in the Def Jam. I walked them in the Def Jam. That day they met Jay-Z. They met Herb Gotti. They met everyone. And they battled the franchise, which was the dude Gravy who played Biggie and Red Cafe and cute mm -hmm. a kid who was signed to Jermaine Dupree. And mm -hmm. Ab Liva said some line that was so slick and so cold that even Jay stopped to pay attention to what they were doing. I make careers, man. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. I make, and, I, and I went on Gilly's Live one time, and when Gilly saw me, he's like, oh, man. He's like, it's been a long time, man. It's been a long time. I said, yeah, you remember where we started? He was like, yeah, man, we was just some young brothers out there trying to make it, man. Just trying to get it. Right, right. It was just, man, I, I look back it's at the It's a different golden, time, man. Yeah, I look back at the golden era and appreciate every moment, every second, every minute of it. And I'm thankful that I had individuals like Ski. I had individuals like Clark, because Clark took me around the country when I first moved to New York. I went all over the country hanging with Clark. Mm. But I think what really, really <clears throat> helped me in building and molding my career was having Ski on the music side and having Chris Lighty on the business side because mm. Chris treated me like family. Like, I had Thanksgiving dinner with Chris's family. I was always at their house, but he would always drop jewels whenever I was around him. Mm. And that's what, I, that's what I always respected and appreciated about both Ski and Chris, it wasn't always just about the music. It was how are you doing as a person, too? Because mm -hmm. we can't make this good music if you ain't doing good as a person. Right. I remember Skeeting was jumping for joy when I came back from Boston. was like, my case is over. They were, oh, oh. <laughs> right. Yo, and um, 
we only got a couple more minutes, but um, kind of going in line with that, uh, rest in peace, obviously, Chris Lighty, but you're saying that people more, more business mind and your cousin was, is Dame Dash, correct? That's what you said? No, Dame Dash's cousin is Darian Dash. And that oh, was Darian. Oh, partner. Gotcha. <clears throat> so, so to Dame, though, when he would come around, did he ever give you some sort of advice, some business advice? Because he seems like, obviously he is a business minded person. Um, the one thing, well, Dame used to always say I was Dr. Dre, baby Dre. He was like, because <laughs> you looked like him though <laughs> back then. <laughs> he, was, he used to always say that, but I think, you know, in Dame's own little way, he would come around and see what we were doing, mm-hmm. you know. And I can be honest, whenever I seen Dame and I said I need whatever, he would be like, all right, cool, or he would say, go to this person and this person will do it. So, okay. Okay. I think he was. I think he was for anyone who was about the hustle. Like if you were hustling, trying to get to it, I just remember that he just hated Leo and he just had it, hated Kevin. He used to mm. walk around the office because in the Universal Building, Rockefeller was on one floor, Violator and Murder Inc was on another floor. So we all used to go between floors, just going up and down the, the back stairs to each other's different floors. And I just remember hearing Dame yelling and screaming. And people used to always be like, you know, Dame is this, that, and the third. But I was like, you weren't around when every door that they went to was getting slammed in their face. True. And now that they got what they wanted, like someone had to be the bad guy. Like, and and he played that role and he played it well. And so, you know, I just always felt that he was for anyone who was in the struggle. And he just wasn't for any of the industry nonsense. Right. Absolutely. Yo, um, I think our time is is, is done. Um, I want to say first and foremost, KT, thank you for jumping on the platform again the mm. second time and sharing these stories. Ski, thank you for coming on the platform and, and confirming and, and, and telling your stories as well. Um, is there anything that both of you want to promote or, you know, how can they find you? Go ahead and plug what you need to plug. Smack that, volume eight. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> Link in the Word. box. Hey, let's go. Yeah. Uh, just just follow my page. Uh, follow my YouTube channel, the Sneaker Dojo, and yeah. I have a new YouTube channel. It's Life with Tony. It's just me, just out and about doing my real estate thing and my regular day to day nine to five thing, and just you know trying to bring peace and positivity in in a lifetime and in a time in life where things are so negative and. And people are just giving up hope, man. I'm trying to give hope right. to the hopeless. Right. Absolutely. I appreciate I love that positivity. Thank you guys for both joining me on the low theory. Appreciate you both, man. Um, yeah. Continue killing it. Ski KT. Salute. Peace, baby. Peace.